Hello, and welcome to Televisions, the ratings warning. Usually we like to keep it PBS around here and have our sound guy, Mark, bleep out what little profanity accidentally slips through. However, please be advised that this week's episode is rated Podcast MA, not only due to language, but subject matter. Thank you for your attention. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bogger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me as per usual, who is, you can't see this, doing a really bizarre series of stretches on the screen right now, is my co-host, uh, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. It's been that kind of day, guys. It really has. How are you? I don't know. It's the holidays. Everything is going insane. My brain is melting. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Um. And how many days till Christmas? Come on. Tell me how many. I have no idea. How many days do I, I have? Know. How many more days? Do you, don't you have like a countdown or some like thing I mean, where you there like is the season? There is the season of Advent, but I don't have an Advent calendar. No. You don't have one of those things where you take the little thingies out? Yeah, I haven't done anything. We put Christmas lights up outside. That's that's the extent of our holiday prep. We haven't even done that. I haven't bought anyone a single gift. Okay, well, I feel better then because I've at least bought some people some gifts. Though those were all the people in my family who I had to buy them for because it was already Hanukkah. Anyway, mm. let's move on. Um, What are we, who are, what yeah, is going on? Yeah, so as you, as you may have noticed, <laughs> the end of our podcast season has sort of, uh, has sort of been a, a shambles <laughs> as we have changed the schedule, moved stuff around. We're doing an extra episode this year i think no we're just no we're just doing we're just we we just we just keep recording we just keep recording you guys are gonna get more content i'm not sure if that makes those of you out there listening in the dark happy or sad but i hope it's happy because there's like more episodes as we keep having to talk about things uh this week we had an unexpected opportunity which we honestly could not say no to and it turned out great so we're excited but uh, we have decided that this week we are going to talk about the BritBox drama Archie, which, in case you did not know, is the real name of Cary Grant. Yeah. Uh, all American Cary, all American actor Cary Grant is actually Bristol-born boy uh, Archie Leach. Um, and this is a four-part miniseries in which basically uh, they do a deep dive into the life of the man behind the mask. A snippet, as we have learned, a snippet of a vast and tragic and frustrating and, quite frankly, confusing life that was a lot. I learned some things, which is rare. Yeah. I mean, not that I know everything, but I don't really watch biopics to actually learn things that I didn't know. But I learned a lot of things I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the thing about this is a uh, it was an ITV slash BritBox production, and uh, Jason Isaacs, who uh, most of you probably know as Lucius Malfoy, um, Star Trek fans know as Captain Lorca. Uh, he was the cute. He was the cute boyfriend on Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys know him as many many things. He's been in a lot of stuff. Um, he plays uh, Archie Leach as Cary Grant in his later years. Um, um, in basically in his in, in he plays him as Ed, in the 60s and then again also in the 1980s um we also get him in his uh 20s and 30s uh is played by Callum Lynch uh who you guys may remember as uh 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 
uh, Eloise's boyfriend in uh, Bridgerton. Um, and then also, uh, there's also two younger versions as well. So uh, anyway, the reason that we got to do a podcast on this is we were we got to talk to uh, Jason Isaacs about the project. The man himself. Yeah. And uh, he's a extremely charming interview and really... I don't know. He must have done so much homework for this role. It's honestly a little bit daunting. But uh, we got the chance to sit down with him for a little bit and talk about the show, talk about his approach to playing Cary Grant, his on-screen, uh, his relationship with his on-screen wife. Uh, the story is, how many wives did he have? Five? Yes. He had... Um, this is the story is kind of set around the time of his fourth marriage to uh, actress Diane Cannon. So that's what the show focuses on a lot. So we talked about, you know, their relationship and some of the darker aspects of it. And I don't know. It's a really interesting conversation. And I hope you guys like it. <laughs> so uh, I guess I will start. I did not think I was going to like this show that much, to be honest. I kind of didn't feel like this was maybe necessarily a story that I needed to see until I read a quote that you gave. I think it was to the Radio Times before this even aired, before I had screeners about how the the idea that Cary Grant was really only ever another role that Archie Leach kind of signed up to play for the rest of his life. And that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more than that. It's, it wasn't, he didn't sign up to play. He devised a character. He's a a shield, an avatar, really, to try and cure himself, to try and um, fill that unquenchable need inside him, this this bottomless pit, this hole that was created in his childhood. So, it, so the, the character that the world knows, the character that, you know, those adjectives that you hear bandied around about him, uh, debonair or, or suave or whatever these, these words are that only seem to be used ever for Cary Grant, he was the polar opposite. Uh, and, you know, he was... He was if he was unflappable on screen, he was extremely flappable in life. He was fragile. He was emotionally volcanic. And he was he was every acronym. He was OCD, the ADHD, but mostly he was PTSD. And um, <sighs> uh, he had a terrible, terrible, catastrophic childhood that left him starving for food and starving for love. And, um, and he sought it. He got it from the world. He created this character the world fell in love with, but he knew it was nothing like him. When he got home and shut the front door, the mask dropped and he was the the very opposite of all those qualities that he wanted the world to like. Um, and that's why his own personal relationship the landscape was just uh, nothing but devastation. That is so tragic to me. Like, how did how did thinking about him in this way, because I have to tell you, I only really ever think about Cary Grant when I think about, like, an affair to remember, and he's this big, like, romantic ideal. Well, that's because you didn't know his life story. Like, he's this big romantic ideal. You all want that guy. But, like, how did you feel about him kind of when you went home at night? Like, did you did you feel sympathy for him? Were you like, God, what a jerk? Yeah, how do you not feel sympathy for someone whose mother's taken away from them, whose father is a violent, alcoholic, abusive man who then dumps him with his, you know, with Kelly's grandmother, Archie's grandmother, because he's got a new family and says, he won't, and by the way, your mother's dead. And then the grandmother's violent and alcoholic as well. And he's out on the streets. He's kicked out of schools. Nobody loves him. He's got nothing to eat. He finds himself in New York as a, you know, he joins this acrobatic troupe uh, and travels around and finds himself in New York. And he's desperate. He's a, he's a male escort because he's a pretty teenager. And, uh, and then like, you know, all the various different divorces chronicle very carefully how, how troubled he was and how controlling he was and how fearful he was and how angry he was and how, um, how disturbed he was. He was really badly disturbed in so many ways for so many years of his life. Uh, and 
the very opposite of you know this character he created on screen women women besieged him you know Audrey, Audrey Hepburn had to pursue him four times before he would accede finally to her demands well in life he became obsessed with people and he harassed them until the end they just had to run away and threaten him with restraining orders and, and when they broke his heart as they did repeatedly he'd cry for six months or he'd be found in hospital with his you know his liver bursting or something or he'd smash things up or just sit in bed I mean, it, was a, it was a very very complicated and troubled man who could also be charming and lovely when he switched it on but uh that just wasn't what these these voices inside him were doing to him so what did i feel for him yeah i felt i, I don't judge him i was trying to be him i was trying to be him in this relationship with diane cannon who was this gorgeous young thing that he thought would help him get over whatever loneliness he felt at the time maybe give him a new lease of life because he was feeling a bit old and then when he got her, he all but extinguished her. He, he stopped her looking like she looked and talking like she talked and walking like she walked. He stopped her working. He wanted her to speak how he wanted her to speak. And, and that made sense to me because there was such anarchy and danger in his early life. Those scars, those wounds stayed open that, that if he could just control absolutely everything, mm. maybe that chaos wouldn't re-enter his life. And that's, that's, that's Diane's take after decades of healing from it, because she was really, I mean, he drove her into a uh, psychiatric hospital, the cuckoo bin, as she calls it. And, and ironically, of course, that's what his father did to his mother. And so he was, a, you know, hurt people hurt people. And mm. that's what I felt about him. That's so true. It's the cliche, but it's so right. I'm all, I'm all about cliches. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like stereotypes. They're true a little bit for a reason. Yeah. 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 How different is it playing like a real person versus like a fictional character? Like, uh, how, does it does it change? Does it change how you like prepare for the role? Right, yeah. Well, I mean, you can't get it that wrong as a fictional person. You're playing character. <laughs> everybody's got an opinion. Um, I mean, it's quite good for source material. Sometimes I've played real people before, but they weren't as beloved as he was. I played, you know, a real soldier in Black Hawk Down, or a few other things I've done that are real, but. Um, the trouble with this, or the daunting thing about this, is everybody thinks, or many people, thought they knew what they wanted to see on screen. Mm. I knew when I took the job, because I wouldn't play Cary Grant, because that would just be a suicidal thing to do. You'd just have to be a moron to try and be Cary Grant, because the whole world lusted after him for 30 years. But I knew from the research and from the script and from the other books I read and people I spoke to that he wasn't Cary Grant, and that he was a really complicated, messed up, neurotic, anxious uh, um you know, troubled man at home, but the audience might come with different expectations. And they certainly would come with expectations of what he looked like, what he moved like, what he talked like. And like, as Diane, who was, Diane was incredibly helpful and useful to me, Diane Cannon, his fourth wife, who who, who wrote the book that most of this mm -hmm. is based on. Um, she was very helpful about what he was like and what he, where he was sweet and where he was insecure and where he was monstrous and overbearing. But she would occasionally throw in things like, and honey, you walk into a room with Carrie, and I'm going to tell you, people couldn't even breathe. They just wanted him, men and women. And I go, okay, let's just go back to the stuff that was useful because that's not, yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about the perfect body. And I mean naked. I'm like, okay, again, let's go back to something useful. I talked to Laura Aikman briefly last week, and she was telling me some similar stories about Diane and her forthrightness about his, attracti <laughs> about his attractiveness, which, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I told, I wanted to know, Every detail, including very intimate details, which she didn't hold back from telling me, I'm very grateful for. But she really has uh, insight into his emotional landscape as well, which was very, very useful. Um, but 
Yeah, no, it was terrifying doing it because I, I thought, well, uh, of course, most of the heavy lifting for the look of it is not me. There's a brilliant makeup and hair department. They're not going to make me look like Cary Grant, obviously. And anyone, anyone who switches on going, that's not exactly Cary Grant. No shit. You know, but uh, the clothes are amazing. They're all made by the world's best tailors. And they take me away from looking like me. So I've got brown eyes and I've got a dimple. And I, you know, I've got dark brown mahogany skin that he was obsessed with having and different hair at different times. But uh, mostly I had to, once I got the voice thing worked out as best as I was going to do it, uh, I had to concentrate on who he really was and, and, and just let go of the fact that people were going, that's not like that guy from North by Northwest. And you go, no, it isn't. That's the point I'm making the show. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about the, about the voice, honestly, because that is uncanny at times, I thought. Oh, like, how, how, how did you do that? Like, how long did it take you to figure <laughs> out how to, like, I can't even, I can't even, like, do my own accent right normally sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, unless I'm a little drunk or I've talked to my mother. In my life, I've had loads of accents. I, I, I born in Liverpool and then I switched to London when we moved to London. I'm, I'm a code switcher. It's a real psychological weakness, but I, thank God I ended up getting paid for it decades later. But so <laughs> I, I have a little bit of an ear for it. Uh, and I knew that everybody was just doing an impression of the impressionist who used to do Tony Curtis, who himself was doing the impression in Some Like It Hot. So I'm like, hold on a second, what's his actual voice like? It's none of this bullshit that, that I've heard along the way. And he never said Judy, Judy, Judy. It didn't, you know, all that's nonsense. So I watched the films, tried to break them down phonetically and go, show us something. First of all, he's inconsistent from film to film. And so mm. in some films, I think he's trying to sound more American. Uh, but he was very bad at accents. He got a lot of praise for playing a Cockney in a couple of films. And he's not just not a Cockney. He's barely homo sapien. I mean, it just doesn't sound anything like <laughs> anybody ever spoke. So uh, I thought, well, he's got the same musical intonation pattern. He's saying every line almost exactly the same. I know, I look vaguely familiar. Like, that's not how anyone speaks. That's not how someone who spills coffee on the pants in the morning talks, or he had terrible rows with Diane. He was crying a lot. And the, the, what's his real voice? It's not that absolute certainty. Um, and then I found after a bunch of detective work, uh, I, I read an interview that I thought was a transcript from decades ago. And I tried to track the journalist down. He's not a journalist. I couldn't find him anywhere. And I kept searching. And eventually I've tracked him down from another means. And I got in touch with him. And I said, you did an interview with Carrie Grant in 1986. He goes, yeah. I go, was, did you record it? But why? Who are you? Why are you asking? What's going on? And I said, no, I'm an actor. I'm playing him. And I, and I, I think it reads like a transcript. And he goes, but why? What, 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 what does that matter? And I went, I'm not, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a policeman. I'm not, I just, I'd really like to hear it. I don't know what he talks like when he's himself, when he's not, you know, really, because he really over-rehearsed all his lines. And he very, this man very generously told me the story of how it came to be, which is a whole other story. But he played me privately, sent me a private link to listen to that recording. And that recording for an hour is what I based the voice on because it's, he's more English. Jennifer told me that anyway, that he was more English than he was in the films. But also you can hear slightly higher voiced. Uh, you can hear mm. quite a fun, silly laugh, but mostly you can hear insecurity. You can hear um, belligerence. You can hear his frustration at being misunderstood. You can hear how little he cared for the public and didn't want to be public property and, and was how dismissive he was of what he did for a living. And how films were stupid, and and, uh, and then there was a, another giveaway in the interview. Mostly, it's how he talks, not what he says. There's one thing he says when he's asked about uh, this student. He's only 22. He doesn't know what to ask next. He can't believe he's got Cary Grant on the phone. And he says, um, who, "Who's the best actress you work with?" And Cary Grant says, "Grace Kelly." But that, that hesitation, he goes, "Grace Kelly," because she was relaxed. 
Says, I've worked with great ones. They won Oscars. Worked with Ingrid Bergman and Catherine Hepburn and stuff. But Grace, Grace was relaxed. And that's the hardest thing to do. Well, actually, it's not the hardest thing to do for most actors. But it was really hard for him. It was really hard for him because what he was doing was playing someone that he created to do something. Because he was never playing himself. Because himself was so far away from that screen persona. Gosh, that must have been exhausting. Like, I'm tired listening to it. I was gonna ask you if you. I was gonna ask if you still had the voice in your head, but I heard you just do it. So clearly, yeah, it I not really. I mean, it's you know, we finished over a year ago. I've done three films and a television series since then. So if I do, I, sometimes I'm asked to do Lucy's Malfoy's voice, and I'm like, I don't want to do it badly. I did it my <laughs> best when I did the thing, though. So I was doing Carrie when I was doing Carrie, and right now I I don't know that I do it well. Okay, that's fair. Did did you work with the younger actors who played the younger versions at all, or? Uh, did you guys all do your own thing? How how did that work? Well, I didn't work with them because the only one who I kind of overlap with is Callum Lynch, who plays him rather brilliantly from about 20 to 35 or something, or mm-hmm. 18, whatever age we think. But uh, he transitions from Bristol to something like the Mid-Atlantic sound that you end up with when you see find me later. Uh, the little ones mm-hmm. didn't. But Paul Andrew Williams, the director, did something I thought rather brilliant. Um, Jeff Pope is the writer who, who has... Mm-hmm long history of bringing brilliant real-life stories to the screen, hadn't written a traditional biopic. It wasn't this, then this, then this. It wasn't chronological anyway. But Paul came in and really messed with it anarchically and swapped actors across the timelines, shot everything on Super 8 to cut in like it was a memory play. It was always going to be framed as... uh, The framing device would be a conversation with Cary Grant, which is toward the end of his life, decades after retiring, he got on stage with a microphone and just answered questions occasionally for fun. Just had fun doing it. But he also had a stroke at some point when he was doing that. And then he had a major stroke and died before another one. Um, so it gave us license to go, you know, this thing you're watching when he's on stage, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe you're watching someone having a stroke and the key moments of his life are flashing back to him. So uh, Paul would swap the actors in and out. When I was on stage, he put some of the characters from my past in the audience or walked past me on the stage. And also I was doing a scene with my mother, played by Harriet Walter, and suddenly it's Cara who played my mother at 20. So, uh, you know, he swapped. So in that sense, we worked with each other because we were on each other's sets. We did it a lot more than ends up in the final cut. So, yeah, I, I, we were interacting in that way. But I didn't work with them on the look of what, because he, he became an acrobat in his teens. Mm-hmm. And then that affected how he walked later in life. And so there's no point working with a little kid. You know. Okay. Um, uh, speaking of uh, Harriet Walter, um, I, you know, you were talking about how, uh, how, you know, he, he'd sort of lived this very toxic life. I was very struck by episode three, mm-hmm. how she brought such a different sort of like, you know, we had this, the first two episodes, you have this kind of like, or she's very toxic in this one way. And then it's like this wave of like a completely new tux- toxicity just kind of like rolls in out of nowhere. Yeah. A big spin, a big turn. It's kind of hard to talk about it without it being a spoiler. Oh, oh no! Don't worry. This is this 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 podcast won't air until after uh, the fourteenth, so you don't have to worry about spoilers. Well, no, not everybody watches it on the day that's streaming for you. Some people might watch oh, it in six fair. months' time, but I oh, know. I guess there's no way to avoid it. That's all right. No, um, but uh, a I wanted to know what it was like working with Harriet Walter because we're big, been, we're big fans of hers on this show. Who isn't? I've been madly in love with her since I saw her play Harriet Vane when I was a kid. Uh, but also like. Uh, did you alter the way that Archie sort of played his Cary Grant character once he kind of had a mother? Sure. He didn't know who to be. I mean, when that stuff happens, he's completely sideswiped. He's already spent a lifetime trying to deal with his abandonment issues. And, and by that stage, he'd already had 
uh, been married to Betsy Drake when, he, when she first came along and was doing acid weekly with the doctor and doing a million other things to try and stop these nightmares and this, this behavior that, he, you know, that, that was causing him so much trouble in life. But uh, when she came along, not only was it a horrendous shock to find out she was still alive, but then she was awful to him. Awful. She was badly disturbed. Now, she'd been institutionalized for a very long time, so it's understandable and to some extent, but she'd been pretty cold and loveless before she was taken away from him. And she was worse when she came out. She was furious. Diane said she was still angry by the time Diane came along. That was two wives later on. Um, so uh, he'd built this life, built this very shaky edifice in California. He's worshipped. His life is perfect. He dresses perfectly. You know, and, and it was hard enough maintaining that. His mother desperately wanted to come to California, and he wouldn't bring her. He kept on inventing reasons not to bring her, because when he went back to England, every time he saw her, it took him weeks to decompress. The first time he saw her, first time when he went to see her, he disappeared for a week. They couldn't find him. They found him in hospital, wired up, because his liver was about to explode. He'd been drinking so much. But every time he came back, he suffered from a version of depression all of his life. But he was inconsolable and disturbed and, and moody. and um, Yeah, so she was, she was a... A destructive presence in his life. It, she didn't bring him pleasure when she came out at all. She couldn't give love. And and what was it like working with Harriet? What do you think? She's phenomenal. <laughs> Harriet Walter, I mean, I've, I've known and admired her forever. I, our paths have crossed a little bit because actors do anyway. So I was able to say hi and we were able to have fun gossip. And then when they go action, you go, wow, someone just pressed a button and she's someone else. I mean, it's what I'm meant to do too, but by God, she does it well. Ugh, like I said, we're big fans. Harriet, you should come on our show too, by the way. Um, <laughs> my question is, I, I chatted with Laura a little bit last week. And um, A, I am now fully obsessed with her and cannot wait to see what she does in the future. She's incredible. Um, but she talked to me a lot about how really um, influential Diane was in kind of putting the show together and how the two of you put your relationship together on screen. Yeah. Like, I know it's a little different for her because she's playing Diane. No, it's not. No, no, he's joking. Uh, but we're telling Diane's story because Carrie wouldn't have been able to tell the story. She has such yeah. vision. She has such objectivity, such generous uh, perspective on it all after this many years. It's stunning how generous she's able to be to Carrie because I was horrified by her account of the marriage and uh, continue to, I, I, still, even to this day when I speak to her, I just keep apologizing to her for what she had to go through. And she's like, you know, honey, he was a sweet man and he was his own worst enemy. And like, it really troubled him that, so I don't know where she finds that generosity from. It might be her newfound religion. I don't know. But but um, no, she was as helpful to me. I spoke to her very, very often as, as she was to Laura. She sounds amazing. And I absolutely am going to read her memoir now because, wow, what a woman. I personally would never be that generous. So more power to her. Well, it took her a long time. She didn't write the book for a very long time. Because at first <laughs> she was, first of all, she was, no, he, he's just, he crushed her. And she couldn't work and wouldn't work. And then she was broke. And then, you know, there were... Uh, there was a lot of things he did after they split up too, as well as during the marriage that were very difficult for her. And um, so it took her a long time to realize that thing that, uh, you know, that truism, which is if you carry resentment against someone, you're only poisoning yourself. Mm. And so she had to learn to heal and let that stuff go. And then she could write the book, which is very generous to him, although it does chronicle an appalling marriage. And, and God, as a father, I just wanted to reach back across time and rescue and grab her out of that terrible situation um the amount that i'm still angry about the dog is not 
small. Oh, the dog was bad, but it was <laughs> it was the least of it. There was there's many many. You have to choose. You have to pick and choose. You have to edit the moments you're going to put in. That seemed to be very emotive. There were many things that he did, and many moments in their life that, that any one of which you'd go, how the hell does anyone do that? But remember, not an excuse, but part of an explanation. Born in 1904, as well as all the demons he carried from his terrible childhood, he was a man out of his era. This was the 60s, and he just wasn't that guy. And he just, he, you know, he was a dinosaur before we have all the kind of uh, other extra uh, damage from his childhood. So, you know, not to justify how he treated her, but uh, you shouldn't, at 61, you shouldn't be marrying 27-year-olds, frankly. And at 77, you shouldn't be marrying 30-year-olds, in my opinion. Fair. Um, but back to Laura for a second, because I'm just, like I said, obsessed with her now. But how did you guys figure out how you wanted to kind of play that dynamic? Well, uh, so I only knew her from her comedy stuff, but I'd seen her be funny. Yeah, and screenful, but not much. And uh, when I think about Laura, I just think I wish she didn't look like Diane Cameron so much because she's not getting the credit for being as brilliant as she is. People don't realize because it doesn't look like a transformation, what an enormous transformation it is and, and how brilliantly she does it. That performance is stunning. Apart from getting her voice and her laugh so fantastically, she also, I know she went into it, and I learned this more from the press, I guess, because I was in the moment at the time. Um, she needed to go into that marriage with such optimism and hope and naivety, and she created that, and you could feel it coming off her. At first, the kind of weird doubt and uh, caution when this man older than her father is coming onto her, and then when she was in, she was in, just so fully in, so that it, it's heartbreaking when that gets crushed out of her. And then you see the hardness develop, the, the regret and the fear of challenging this man who the world worshipped, uh, but her steely determination, all those things just were so beautifully portrayed by her. And the other thing was, I'm a nightmare to work with often. I mean, <laughs> That's I, not I, what I she told me. On this. <laughs> Sorry? That's not what she told me. Well, no, what I mean is I was given license to play by Jeff Pope, the writer, and Paul, because I was the P on it, and because we discussed the scenes a lot when Laura hadn't been around or done stuff. And so I would quite often go off piste. Uh, and and uh, and she just, she's just such a great actress and dance partner uh, that she would, you know, she follow. Oh, and then eventually she realized she had license to do that too, of course, whenever she wanted. And uh, this, so the scenes, as much as you do all this preparation and we talk about all the, you know, prep and things I read, the people I spoke to, she did, spoke to Diane, when you're on the set and you're doing the scene, none of that comes into play. You forget all of it. Uh, and if someone's great, as she is a great actress, you just completely clear the palette. And you go, what's going to happen now? I've no idea what's going to happen. I don't know what you're going to say, what you're going to think, what you're going to feel. Are you going to be angry at me? Are you going to cry? Are you going to want to hug me? Are, you know, uh, uh, are they going to come closer together or be further apart? Every scene's an adventure. And she's just so able and nimble to be in the moment. Uh, she, I, like you, I can't wait to see what she does next. You know, it's funny because uh, Lacey saw this much more as sort of like a tragic, doomed, like, like love story. Whereas for me, this was much more, I, I saw it a little more horror story, especially like, you know, he dangles literally a Hitchcock roll in front of her to get her to come in. Like, I was very much like the, all the red flags are there from the moment she walks in. It's and, probably psychoanalyzing you know, me in really uncomfortable ways right now. I think it's somewhere um, between. <laughs> I, I disagree with both of your genre classifications. It's a, it's, I think it's a tragedy, you know, yes, it's true if you, that we focus in on that story because Jennifer was born out of it and Diane chronicled it so well, but he had many big relationships. They all broke his heart because he destroyed all of them. So uh, whilst we focus in on this and she's brave enough to go, just tell me you love me or don't. 
do you love me? And, and he didn't say anything. Uh, that's the one moment of honesty, maybe in the whole four hours from him, except when he's finally at the, on stage at the end. Um, but it wasn't, he wasn't trying to trick her into anything. He was destroyed by the fact that he had destroyed yet another marriage. And now there was a child from it. He, did, he, did, he kept on marrying people, not because he was a dilettante, but because he wanted to believe in, you know, uh, everlasting love. He just couldn't handle relationships. He couldn't handle a family. He couldn't handle himself. It was only, uh, to my own mind anyway, only by starting to experience what it's like to just give love, uncomplicated love to his child, and not try and get love, and it's never enough. And whoever he was with, they didn't love him in the right way, and they didn't love him enough, and they weren't uh, with Diane. shouldn't dress right, look right, sound right, speak right to his friends, write thank you cards right. He just uh, couldn't engage with someone and love them for who they are, except when his kid came along. And when Jennifer came along, that was something he could do, and that was the beginning, maybe, of a healing process for him. It didn't help him with Diane at all. But um, so I don't know what genre it fits into, but I'm, I'm not sure it's it's horror or a love story. It's some something else. It's a it's a tragic, doomed uh, psychological thriller slash love story. But it, there's something redemptive by the by the time you get to the end. It's not depressing, at least. Thank God. I know. Thank goodness for Jennifer. Well, yes. I mean, I've been very. I'm amazed by Jennifer because this is difficult for her. She didn't see this man, and 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 it's an act of faith for her to believe that he existed because. The Jennifer, sorry, the Carrie that she knew was delightful and charming and lovely. And the divorce, maybe she didn't see whose fault it was, and she spent most of her time with him. Very, so for her to sign up for this and sign off on it, it's taken remarkable courage because it's, you know, it's challenging her memory so much. Do you think the show does him justice? Does Archie Leach justice? I don't know. It does. We do what we can the best way we can. I think you see him as a human. I think you see him as complicated. I think you see him as a uh, his behavior, his destructive behavior, as harming him the most. Uh, and it, you know, I don't like to judge characters; they just are who they are. I think that what I take away from it, I think what I might take away if I was a viewer and not connected, is that if the gap between who you are on the inside, what you think, what you feel, how you behave, is so enormous from what the world sees on the outside. You better do some work to try and join them up and make them meet in the middle, because otherwise you're going to cause damage to everyone. What do you think? You asked the question because I feel like maybe you think it doesn't. I don't know. Well, no, I was because, you know, there's a lot of things that I felt like like the show didn't quite want to go all the way there. Like, especially like it sort of hand waves at the fact that like, there's all these rumors about his bisexuality and then. Oh, good. I went to the that. Why'd you take that long? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, like, no, and there's like, there's, and like the fact that they never actually want to show any of the physical violence on screen. And there's like a lot of things where like you feel almost like it doesn't want to go there. And, you know, I very much That's like. Not, it's not true. Uh, we, we did want to deal with it as honestly as we possibly could. There's a challenge in that Cary Grant never said to anyone out loud, never admitted publicly that he was gay. Not only that, he sued once when it was an accusation. However, I read all the biographies and all the accounts of people who said that he lived with someone as his husband for many years. Uh, and other people said they went in there and slept with him. And this guy who lived in his house later in his life and said that he had, Kerrigan had said to him, oh, I was, I was with boys when I was younger than I was bisexual than I was with women. But we have to counterbalance it with the fact that he sued and that Diane said, well, he wasn't gay when he was fucking me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, and, and that he really liked sex with women. Um, 
So I, I said to Jeff, look, we've got, to, we've got to put stuff in about him being gay. And he goes, but I don't know that he was. I know that lots of people say he was, but then we're, when we're going into areas we don't have any proof for. And I said, well, then we have to acknowledge it in a way that none of my, none of my gay friends and the people, my, I had a very good friend who died, who's a, a gay costume designer in New York, who worshipped Cary Grant and was thrilled that I was going to play him. I said, I can't have to honor his memory. There's no way we skip over. Jeff goes, fine, okay, let's come up with something. So I wrote that scene or the, those lines where uh, she, Diane says to him, are, are you gay? And, you know, at that point, he's wooing Diane and she's talking about stuff in his past. And he said, because he didn't say to her that he'd been gay. So it would be a lie to put that in the scene. And we're not flashing back to any of his other relationships. We're only dealing with the mm. relationship with Diane. So he says, I've loved a lot of people. They all broke my heart. Are you going to break my heart? Which to me is him saying, sure, but let's not talk about that now. It's none of your business. And it's as honest and verifiable as we could be without going into areas that people would rightly be able to challenge. I think that's fair. So that, that, was a, that was a tricky area, not because we wanted to straight wash it or anything, but because we wanted to acknowledge that it may well have been true, but we don't know. Okay, fair. Since we only have two minutes left, uh, I, I do really want to know, what's your favorite Cary Grant movie? Oh, well, when Diane was asked, you ask her, she was very, very naughty. She went, the ones we made at home. That's what Laura <laughs> told me. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Hey, listen. Well, she's still sassy. I love her. <laughs> I like seeing the vaudeville act, the slapstick Mark's brother, the guy who's doing pratfalls and double takes. So I like his girl Friday because the dialogue is delivered like a, you know, the medical waiver at the end of a hemorrhoids advert. I just like the speed and madcap pace of that. You could have seen that in vaudeville. And I think that is a perfect note for us to wrap on. Jason, thank you so much Thanks for so chatting much. with us. That was wonderful. It got dark. Well, I was talking to you the whole time. It got very, very dark. It, is, it does look very ominous behind you. I've got, a, I've got a ring light, thank God. Otherwise, this would have been in the pitch black. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. We super appreciate it. And uh, can't wait for everybody else to watch all the show. Thanks a lot. See you next time. So that was fun. Uh, but I think I think to close it out after that conversation, which I really loved doing, if it weren't apparent in the recording, uh, we should. What's your favorite Cary Grant movie? We should we should we should answer the same questions we posed to the talent, if you will. Um, my favorite Cary Grant movie is Bringing Up Baby. That was my that was the first one I think I ever saw as a kid. Um, I just I've always loved that one. Um, I, I I mean, also, it has like a very large cat in it. So, of course, it's my favorite. Um, and it's got Catherine Hepburn. And it, yeah, it's just everything about it is like my favorite. Um, I also, I mean, I probably would have loved a Philadelphia story if I'd seen that first. But Bringing Up Baby is better. Is that the, is that that is the first one you saw? Yeah. Uh, mine is not a fair to remember. It's very stereotypical answer, I think, because they even make a joke out of it and like sleeps in Seattle. But it is. It's good. It's sad. Um, it is worthy of the joke and sleepless in Seattle, but uh, that one's my favorite. Anyway, uh, that is our show. Thanks everybody who stuck with us and hopefully learned some stuff too. And just, I don't know. I love that conversation. So I'm excited that we got the chance to do it. And Archie is streaming on BritBox, all four episodes. Archie is streaming on BritBox. Thank you for that important <laughs> reminder that I completely forgot to say at any point during this. Um, yes, BritBox, Archie, it's all streaming. It's, it's, difficult but good and we'll be back 
with more episodes than we actually intended to make this year. So everybody buckle up and uh, Annie, tell the people where they can find you on the Internet. Uh, you can find me at Annie Bundle on Blue Sky. You can find me at Annie Bundle on Threads. You can find me at Annie Bundle on Instagram. You can find me at Annie Bundle everywhere. Um, so yeah, that's basically where I am. I'm at Annie Bundle. Um, and that's where you're going to find my bylines and me promoting my stuff. So there. That sounded like a threat, but okay. <laughs> um <laughs> I am, uh, as always, Lacey MB, virtually everywhere that lets you choose your own profile name. So come and follow me on your platform of choice. If you are only interested in the site and the pod, we are currently on Facebook at Televisions Blog, all one word. Uh, we're contemplating adding some other platforms in the new year, but we'll see where that goes and we will keep you posted. If you have thoughts you would like to share with us, favorite Cary Grant movies, cat photos, I don't know what we should ask for for Christmas because I haven't told anybody what I want yet and anything we're at televisions at weta.org or you can just visit us at televisions.org to find all of our news updates listicles recaps reviews interviews and buckets of fun stuff while you're there if you click on the donate button up top you can get access to PBS Passport which will be very key for 2024 as a bunch of exclusive and early binge opportunities are headed your way in the first month of the year including the new seasons of All Creatures and Miss Scarlet, which I haven't even started watching either of them yet, and I'm very excited. Uh, that's where we are. That's our show. More shows are coming in the, in the in the last few weeks of the year. Surprise! It's our gift to you, not to ourselves. But uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Ask Santa for something nice. Get your flu shots and COVID vaccines. And do something nice for a stranger. It is the season, after all. We appreciate all of you. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week.